Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. I'm your host, Sean Creighton. In my current role as NACU president, I have the honor of working with an amazing group of independent colleges and universities. I'm a huge admirer of their approach to teaching and learning. They provide an integrated, liberal, professional, and civic education. As a result, the NACU campuses graduate extraordinary professionals for a global workforce and society. Also, their campuses are beautiful. About our podcast, we will focus on topics related to higher education. We will bring in guests that wrestle with current and future challenges. They'll include college presidents, provosts, professors, researchers, authors, disruptors, reporters, strategists, and maybe even a futurist or two. They'll help us expand our window into the world of higher ed. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. In part one of my interview with Nathan Graw, we talked about his two important books that are helping higher education navigate the future and deal with a change in demographics. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I encourage you to do so. In this second episode, we will get into the impact of COVID. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking for a while now and not have not mentioned COVID, which uh, maybe that's a good sign. <laughs> but uh, at first I wondered, did you write The Agile College before the pandemic or during the pandemic? It was written before. So the, okay. the book went you know, in the final form to the publisher in December of 2019, so just before the world was about to change. I was in a conversation this week in which somebody said, uh, you know, the pandemic has distracted campuses from the demographic cliff. And, you know, I wondered what you thought about that. Has it, has it been a distraction or? Yeah, that's a great question. Is it a distraction? <laughs> Certainly, people's focus on 2025 and beyond went through the floor mm-hmm. as it had to be. We were all scrambling to figure out how are we going to deliver classes while keeping faculty, staff, and students safe. And so it had to be that we focused on things that are more immediate. But the question of is it a distraction is interesting because I think there's actually a lot of intersection between these two. I think, for instance, as we think about what do we need to navigate demographic change, one of the things we have to have, as the title of the book suggests, is a flexibility of mindset mm-hmm. that doesn't say, but no, you know, we narrowly define ourselves this way and we can't revisit those questions of who we serve and, and who we are as an institution. We need to be more open to revisiting questions of who are our students and who are we. And I think we actually grew a lot in that during the pandemic. And so the pandemic might have served us well if we're able to take advantage of what we've been through in the last year or so. I think there's a risk that we will experience change fatigue and people will say, no, I just want to go back to normal right. and I don't want to deal with continuing change. But Institutions that can really capitalize on the joint experience of the last year will be in a great position. We also saw a lot of really student-centered practices emphasized because we recognized that our financial security depended on bringing every last student back to campus who could safely come and wanted to come. And I think that's been really healthy. Faculty have been doing office hours with students who chose to study at home, and they've had a digital window into those homes. And I think that's given us, it's not that we learned, we relearned. We knew this, but Mm -hmm, we didn't maybe mm -hmm. know it viscerally. That the challenges of retention, for instance, are very multifaceted, they're holistic. The problem that I see in my classroom might be the student doesn't do very well on this algebraic problem set in economics. And I might be 
tempted to think what we need is to hook this student up with the quantitative skills center, and they might need that support. But what might actually be behind that problem has to do with social capital at home or financial mm-hmm, capital at mm-hmm. home. Uh, we saw issues with broadband access and so on. And, and having those chances to look into student lives, I think, again, for institutions that have the ability to leverage it, will give us a jumpstart on the conversations about retention and the fact that every single person on campus is, for some student probably, that content point that can make a difference between mm-hmm. attrition and retention. And I think there are some opportunities then where the pandemic planning isn't really a distraction, but is maybe a bit of a boot camp for the kind of mentality and approaches that will serve us well going forward for the next decade. Yeah, that is a great observation. I mean, when you think about the way technology has been used as well and incorporated, it's really changed during this time, and a lot more investment has gone into it and understanding how to do it, and a lot more faculty have moved in that direction. Obviously, they were forced to do that. Absolutely. But by doing it, they recognize maybe future opportunities. And I guess I was wondering what you thought about you know leveraging technology going forward as we kind of slowly emerge out of the uh, pandemic. I think that's a really interesting question, and obviously exactly how it plays out, we'll find out. But I think there are some things that we can anticipate. One is I think students are, some students, are going to have concluded that distance learning actually met their needs better than they thought it did. And so we saw, for instance, already in the National Clearinghouse data that online school providers saw a bump this past year in enrollments because they were well-positioned to provide that form of learning that really fit the pandemic. And we might see some students going forward drawn into higher ed via online programs because they better understand what distance learning could look like. But at the same time, I think, and given my institutional affiliation, I hope, Mm -hmm. uh, that there will be some students who recognize the value of that in-person residential experience. Then the question is, okay, not does technology become the replacement for an in-person experience, but rather can it become an enhancement? And I think having faculty pay the fixed costs to figure out how to use this technology opens up a whole bunch of doors. So I think, you know, Carlton, like I said, we're a residential campus, and I'm sure we will be going forward. But might we have conversations in new ways about internships? It's Mm -hmm. always been a bit of a struggle for us, 45 minutes to an hour from a major metropolitan area. If a student did an internship during the term, it would be very hard to take classes at the same time. But could we imagine a few online course offerings for students who were doing internships during a term so that more of our students could incorporate internships into their Carleton education Mm -hmm. experience. I don't know whether we will, but I think it's an interesting conversation to be having with these new eyes based on the technology experience. Another example is small colleges often struggle with scale issues. Uh, We can't compete and offer a program in, say, artificial intelligence because we just can't get that critical mass of faculty. We can't afford that. Mm -hmm. But if enough of us as small colleges are having that experience, might we find creative ways to say, well, most of our offerings are going to be in-person and on campus. We do have selective targeted areas where we do some online learning with peers, and maybe a number of colleges go in collectively to hire a cadre of faculty that now can support a program if some of those courses are done in an online modality. So I think there, there are ways that we can think of very intensive uses of technology and also ways where residential in-person campuses should be having those conversations. I think it's a really interesting place right now. There's a whole chapter you have on collaboration, and uh, you made the, the statement, we overlook collaborative opportunities to address challenges at our collective and individual peril. And, uh, you know, as a higher ed consortium leader, I was delighted <laughs> to see the chapter on collaboration. 
And while we talk about collaboration, and we've been talking about it for decades, and there's so many wonderful examples, it still seems like kind of a fresh area for working together across institutions to address challenges. And I wondered what you thought, though, about partnerships between higher ed and, and the ed tech companies, and whether there's still remains to be seen, but opportunities for accelerating change and, and sustainability to address some of these changes, or are we at the mercy of ed tech if, um, once we go mm-hmm. down that path? Yeah, I think if we take the stance that we won't even entertain the conversations, that has its risks. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we have to recognize as we enter into these conversations that those companies want something out of the arrangement, and we need to keep track of what we want and need out of the relationship as mm-hmm. well, because it could come at our risk. You know, lately we've seen a lot of pressure into higher education, in essence, competing with higher education with certificates being offered by corporations. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to find that there actually is a craft here involved in teaching and that their corporations aren't necessarily set up to do what it is that we do. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I think higher ed does have to recognize that here is an industry that's saying we have some specific needs, and if you won't meet them and provide students who have those skills we will be kind of forced to bring education in-house. And so I think it's certainly worth having those conversations. But one anecdotal story that, that underscores the insight in your question, I was talking to a community college that worked with an industry partner, and they set up an entire degree program to create a pipeline of students that would be prepared in a very specific way for this industry partner. And after a few years of that partnership, the industry partner had some critiques, things that could be done differently, mm-hmm. and the college invested yet further into those discussions. And in the course of those negotiations on how to revamp the program, the industry partner said to the director, the faculty director of the program, well, look, what are they paying you? And they just hired the faculty member away. Mm. So from the college's perspective, it was a large investment that ultimately served to jumpstart the process for the industry partner mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be their competitor. And so it, it certainly is the, that we have to be aware of the potential downsides. And yet it seems, on the other hand, to just ignore the need for those conversations can't possibly be the right, the right answer to the problem. Mm-hmm. Would you rewrite anything in the book, since it was written pre-COVID, or add a chapter? Yeah, I guess if I had to add at least an epilogue or something like that in the context of COVID, it might be that obviously we have some reasons for some concern as we look at the fallout this past fall, and even as we look at the Common App data going into next fall. We're seeing declines in applications, not precipitous, Mm -hmm. but meaningful, among first-generation low-income families. Insofar as we hope to offset declining pools by expanding access, that's hardly good news. We also saw a decline in matriculation rates by men, and as we talked about before, that's Mm -hmm. another area where we would hope to expand access. So that's not a great sign. And I think if we look back to the Great Recession, we see both a hopeful story and a story of caution. So in the Great Recession, we saw unemployment rates spike, particularly in African-American and disproportionately in African-American and Hispanic communities. Despite that, the rate of growth of college matriculation continued upward in the Hispanic population. Um, Hispanic matriculation rates rose a little bit more slowly than before the Great Recession, but they continued upward. By contrast, those for African-Americans began a decline. And so while African-Americans had been closing the gap and nearly got there to the national average at the start of the Great Recession, that gap has opened up again to levels we saw in the 1980s. And so as we experience a wiggle this year in matriculation rates, I think we can hope it's just a blip, but the worry is that it's the start of a trend. And as we look back to the Great Recession, we see that 
you know, a wiggle turned into a trend for the African-American matriculation rates, whereas it was just a wiggle for Hispanics. And we have to work really hard in the fallout from COVID to make sure that we make sure that it's a blip and not the start of a new trend in the, in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Are you going to continue on this research agenda? You know, I've written two really important books. Are you working on a third right now, or are you going to focus your energy somewhere else? I'll certainly keep a hand in this area. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working on a chapter for a, an edited volume that has to do with COVID and you know, what do we make of COVID looking forward. The premise is, okay, so God willing, the vaccines will roll out and we will be able to look backward at the pandemic shortly. Uh, what might we learn? So um, thinking about the enrollment aspects of that, but I'm also working with a colleague on something completely different on uh, scholarly publications among economists at liberal arts colleges trying to understand what that trajectory looks like over the life cycle. So a little bit of continuation and a little bit of returning back to economics. Nathan, thanks so much for being our guest today on the NACU podcast. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here for Connect, Collaborate, Champion, a podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. This podcast is made possible thanks to our partner, public radio station 91.3 WYSO in Yale Springs, Ohio. Thank you, YSO. The New American Colleges and Universities connects our campuses to collaborate in the delivery of innovative ideas and to champion the belief that a comprehensive, liberal, professional, and civic education is essential to the future of our world. To learn more about our amazing campuses, visit nacu.edu, N-A-C-U dot E-D-U. See you soon.